very excited tonight to bring another episode of My Investing Story along with my co-host, Ms. Iona McNeil. Tonight, as usual, we say the same thing every single week. And that is, this is going to be one of the best shows ever. And why is that? Because we have one of the best in the industry. Tonight, we're talking with Mr. Malik Lee. And Mr. Lee is a financial expert. And actually, we were introduced to him, I want to almost say vicariously through an article that he wrote in our Better Investing magazine. Ioni and I are volunteers with Better Investing, and Better Investing is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization helping individual investors to learn how to basically analyze stocks, but how to invest at whatever level you find yourself. But Mr. Lee graduated with a degree in finance from Morehouse College and is a certified financial planner. He is also known as a thought leader within the wealth management industry. And tonight, Mr. Lee, we are very excited to hear your hashtag, my investing story. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Ioni. Thank you. So I'm, I'm going to also plug in uh, the breadth of Mr. Lee's uh, reach. He is um, a monthly contributor for Business Insider. And like Ms. Ann said, we came across him as a, as a guest contributor in the, in the Better Investing magazine. But he's also written for Kiplinger. Um, and you can also find his comments featured in the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, CNN Money, and, and everywhere else you generally get your, <clears throat> your um, research, financial research, when, when we look to analysts to chime in on, on companies or the economy or the markets. So I just wanted to start off with that, Mr. Lee, because number one, let me just say, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for uh, saying yes to being a guest on our show. Well, you know, um, uh, thank you so much. And uh, when I, when you, when you called and told me that you, you know, it's, you started with better investing and how it grew from there. I, you know, and with now with the partnership that I have with them as being a columnist in the magazine, I just, I just thought I had to be a, I always tell myself I'm a, I'm a man of the people. So I had to follow through with that. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Well, on this show, we generally like to bring on guests to ask them about their journey from where they started to where they are now. Um, because many of the people, despite having built wealth or gotten into the financial industry, money was not taught at home. So usually this show is an opportunity to inspire people and to let them in a sense see how other people do it without having that kind of leg up or um, being born with privilege and just kind of normalizing the conversation about um, how easy wealth building can be, but here are the fundamental steps you would need to take um, to help you get there. So uh, let's kind of start with the first question, which is generally, was money talked about in your home as a kid? 
what type of uh, money lessons did you learn growing up um, in your in your family at home or even at, at large in your community? So I had to learn money. Uh, I don't want to say the old school way, but it it I had to learn it from a generation that was higher than my parents' generation. So, which obviously they look at it and it was kind of, it, it's just different from, from, that, from that perspective. Uh, and we'll kind, of, we'll, kind of, we'll kind of dive into that. But um, my parents passed away at the age of, at, at my age of six. So I was raised with my grandmother and uh, my grandmother born in 1930, 31, uh, who's still alive today and she's still riding still driving the car and everything so 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 she kicking with guys i i spoke to her today matter of fact but um uh uh so their way of money in that generation was get a job with a pension uh uh you know save put your money in savings maybe get a whole life policy and great depression perspective yes yes and it was a lot of uh, uh, it was a lot of cash hoarding, if, if you will, and, and not putting the power of true power of compound interest behind your money. So um, those were those were, the, and at the time I was just like, oh, they, you know, they're scared of money and they're scared they don't know how to make it. But as I got older, I realized it was just, you know, what they were taught and what the the, the successful things that they saw from the people before them. Uh, uh, so. In the beginning, uh, I, I, I was taught three things, right? That Malik, we don't have a lot of money. <laughs> money doesn't grow on trees and you need to get your own money, okay? <laughs> so, so, so the first thing that I had to learn how to do was earn, right? Was to, was to make money. And people, people very, they rarely believe me when I say this, but I, I think I might have the W-2s somewhere in, in my house. <laughs> but but uh, 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 the, my first job was um, in the sixth grade. So whatever, how old that, that was, um, um, I'll call it 10, because I graduated at 17, so, so call it 10. My first job was shoveling snow in, New, in Queens, New York. Uh, uh, and at that time, we had, you know, before the whole for whole global warming thing going on, we had way more snowstorms at that time, you know. <laughs> but uh, but uh, so so I would had to, you know. So that was my first business, and because I wanted a pair of Jordans, right? You know, exactly. So I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, how can I buy my first pair of Jordans? So I had to go out there and hustle and shovel. So I would shovel snow from six in the morning to eight at night at ten years old. And I would make like $300 out there. And, you know, this was, I don't know, uh, 80, 88. That's a lot of money in the oh, 80s. Oh, it was a lot of money. And I was blowing it. Timberlands cost like $120. Uh, right. At that time, Timberlands was still like $100 at that time. Right, 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 right. Uh, Nintendo just came out. I think, uh, no, 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 Nintendo was already out. I got that in the first grade. So I think it was that like Super Sega Nintendo. Genesis? Yeah, it was okay. like Super Nintendo now. Okay, okay. <laughs> so so um um so I had that, you know, I had the hustle from 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 that perspective. Uh uh, uh and then it came to the point the next some the next winter, 
I had like three of my friends working with me. So I was shoveling half the snow and right. make it even more money, you know? Exactly, so, exactly. So, so I kind of learned that the hard way. And that was one of my first and ever last pair of Jordans because I was, I worked so hard for it and like half of it like was gone. <laughs> I was yes. like, no, yes. I'm not doing this anymore. Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, to this day, even now, I still don't spend over, I think my limit is like 150 now, you know, for sneakers, but that's it. Right. These right, $200, right. $500, no, not doing it. But so, so uh, um, uh, uh, the, that was the first thing like was to earn. And I took that all the way up into, well, I still, still do that to today, but, but, you know, from, let's just talk about up into 12th grade. Right. So, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it was that job. Um, when I got into middle school, I didn't want to do something as labor intensive. So I signed up for programs where I was working in the post office before I even had working papers. Um, and it was like a summer internship. Wow. Um, right, right, they have right. all these, these programs here. I, I didn't work a full day, but um, I, I got, I got introduced to like a, you know, a, a, a nine to five, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the whole yeah. environment that goes along with and it. And that whole environment. Yes. that whole environment. I was suit and tie and walking to the post office and, and I was just copying papers and stuff like that. But still, you know, I was I was going through those go, I was going through those motions. Um, and then when I got to high school, I went through the co-op program, which is you go to school for one week. The oh, next week, okay. you work for a whole week. So wow. I was working for 40 hours one week and going to school the next week. And uh, I was working on at uh, the Board of Education. They put you everywhere. They put you PricewaterhouseCoopers, Morgan Stanley. You know, they had all this, the New York City had all these different programs. So um, I was actually starting to save for college during that time. So the so the one thing, and I was actually paying rent at that time at, at, at the house. So um, uh, I thought it was rent. And in actuality, my grandmother was saving the money. So yes, yes. But, it, but it's one of the <laughs> best practices you can kind of... Uh instill you know yeah. because it gets yes. you into the habit but on the backside, it's really for your benefit yes 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 so so um um i was fortunate enough that i made a lot of money before the age of 21 um and it was all from just just working and and just you know hustling like i was telling my my grandmother the other day she was like uh you know because she doesn't she's like hey you own your own business but how do you pay into social security You're like how does how does how does that work you ain't gonna be running around here without no social security, are you? And and so I was like, nah, nana, you know, I, I gotta pay what's called the uh, uh, social security tax at the end of the year. I gotta pay 15.3%. So they get Uncle, Uncle Sam's getting theirs. And then so uh and that's all I said anyway. I said, I've been working since I was 13. I've I've been got my 10 my 10 quarters of social security. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> wow. So I think I had that maybe at like 26 or something. Uh, you know, I had that well before most people get it around 30, 32. And, and, and I had mine about at least six to eight years um, before, before the norm from that perspective. So now from an investing standpoint, uh, 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 it, it wasn't really, it wasn't a lot of um, lessons from that. You know, the stock market was foreign. Um, I, I think my grandmother, like right, like three or four years before she retired, five years, 401ks started getting popular. She retired in 95, you know? So I think 401ks started getting popular more in the eighties, 
like right right towards, towards the late 80s people started but even still they had their pensions and it was a option it was kind of like how educators now have the four three b's and then you could do a 457 you know if you want to and things of that nature so um that kind of was her option then uh uh and um so and at the time like you know we weren't you know, inflation was high in the in the 70s, but it was starting to come down. It was it was much lower in the 90s. And so she wasn't really thinking about inflation and all those other things, all those things of that nature. Um, so so from a more technical and from a wealth building perspective, you know, it wasn't too many lessons there. But I did learn how to sock money away and how to earn. So I know that's a long answer to your to your question, but <laughs> no, that's actually perfect because what you highlighted and that and actually made clear, and I don't know if people, I don't know if anybody has put it into these words, but the older generation, like you said, even two generations removed from you, <clears throat> they felt and believed, and at that time, what was true for them, which was if I just get up and go to work, my future is secure. I don't have to do anything. I, I commit to this company. I get up every day. I go to work. I show my loyalty by showing up, doing my work, and I'm going to get a pension. Mm. But like you said, there was a shift in the tide to where pensions are now out. Mm -hmm. Um self-managed 401ks, 403bs, and all the likes are in. And for those that have been committing to work for corporations or even organizations that don't even offer those retirement plans, then you have the rise of the IRA. So I think unless we actually talk about it, we could be living the philosophy of our grandparents thinking that we're going to get the same results and get to the end of the road and be like, but wait, I thought, I mm. thought I didn't have to think about the future. I thought the social security was going to be enough. Mm -hmm. I thought that pension was going to be there. Mm -hmm. I thought you were supposed to do that for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people actually say aloud that those assumptions um, but we know, especially for us uh, as Blacks, unless we are talking about it and making it clear, we'll be the last to know, mm -hmm. the first to get hurt, the first to get run over. And I mean, I just think that, you know, the time is kind of over for that. You know, that's a great segue. I have a, I have a real cool story. So um, especially with the, your audience, this will probably resonate. Um, and, and then also because what we saw with the pandemic, um, we saw that we saw a 35% downturn, right? In, in the months of end, of end of February, March, going into April, the S&P was down around 35%. One thing that we didn't, one thing that happened that's unprecedented was the yes, that was the fastest to a bear market, I think 16 or 20 days. Um, but it was the fastest to recover as well too, right? And that typically doesn't that typically doesn't happen. So on average, if you look back to 1926, the average bear market lasts about a year and three months. Okay, and so and this is goes into my story, right? Uh, so so a little facts there for my story. 
So when I was right up, I was about to graduate. Um, so 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 I was awarded. I was technically a ward of the state. So my grandmother never adopted me. So when my parents passed away, like I was like an orphan, but I had I was with a relative technically, right? So so my grandmother had a hard time fighting getting social security. Oh, you're on mute, security. or the sound went out, Malik. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I can hear oh. you now. Okay. So it might have been I'm I have a microphone right in front of me and I might I've been moving my hands and I might have hit it or something. <laughs> I'll try to keep my hands in place. So um, um, so let me let me go back here. So I was awarded the state. So technically, uh, I was like an orphan. That's considered like a that's another word for orphan, but you might be living with a relative, right? So uh, uh, so my grandmother had a hard time fighting for Social Security, right? So if you're under uh, the age of uh, 16, you get social security from uh, parents that passed away, right? As long as they work in and had a job. So my grandmother fought for like five years for social security payments. And she finally was able to get it. Um, now I'm like 11 or 12 at the time. And, uh, and uh, she received a lump sum of whatever the dollar amount was, let's call it 5,000 or 6,000 or whatever. And that's a lot of money to her. Like she's looking at this lump sum, like, whoa, this is a, this is a lot of money. So, so, so she took that money. And at that time you had the stockbrokers, right? You didn't really have too many individuals like us. We were out exactly. there. We were out there, but you know, Hard it wasn't to come by. Of, yeah. yeah. It wasn't a lot. And, of, the, and the minimum to even talk to them yes, was like $10,000. Yes, yes, yes. So, so she took, so she said, you know what? I wasn't expecting this money. I got it. I'm going to take all of it. And then I'm going to put it into the stock market because at the time it was, it was hot. It's the nineties, right? It's during the Clinton bull run. Right. So she's seeing everybody making money, everybody right. doing stuff. So she said, Hey, let me put some money in there. And this was in 1990, you know, six or seven. Before the bubble. There you go. There you go. So now the bubble hits. And so because of her, uh, 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 because of her non-education uh, knowledge or just lack thereof, uh -huh, uh -huh. what happened? She saw the money going down. What did she do? She panicked and she sold. So she actually, so now here it is. I'm, and this was for my college, right? So you don't invest in growth investments when you need the money in that short period of time, right? So, so she, so she's like, man, listen, I, I'm not trying to have this thing go to zero because what does she remember, right? She remembers the Great Depression, right? And how that happened and people jumping out of windows and all that kind of stuff, like how bad it was. So she's like, I'm not having my money go to zero. So she pulls out. So now the money that she puts in is half of what she gave them. So, uh, uh, so, so that is like, to kind of go back to your point about just, you know, the knowledge and, and the education from that, from that standpoint. And then also, you know, her just being fearful of the charlatans that, that, that were out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's, it is wise to be weary of them because when you don't know period, and when you don't know better, you can be taken advantage of. So sometimes one of the wisest things is to keep your money 
Um, but then, then you would need the next step, which is to get educated, to become educated. And that's in a sense where better investing comes in, um, being a nonprofit investment education organization, focusing on individual investors and investment clubs. Um, so with that, and, and that's a great segue, Malik, for when did you come to learn about investing and realize how important it was, especially considering your background and how you grew up um, learning about money? So it was initially an accident. Uh, my uncle was, you always had that one person who you think is like, you know, they got all the money, you know, yep. uh, uh, and things of that nature in your family. So, so to me, it was my uncle. Uh, uh, it was my uncle Larry, my grandmother's brother. So he's my great uncle. Uh, my grandmother's brother. Uh, uh, and he always was, man, he was dressed so smooth. That brother have on the, he have on the suspenders and coming in clean. And I was like, man, you know, and, and, and everybody used to say he deals with money. You know, he deal, he's in finance, right? So I'm thinking he's dealing in stocks. I never really had that conversation because we just didn't have those conversations as like a, as like a family. Um, so when I got to high school, I was like, okay, I want to deal with the stock market because that's what my uncle does, and I want to be in the you know in the stock market. Come to find out, he was an accountant. He wasn't even in the stock. Oh, market. I, that was better <laughs> than I thought. I thought he was running the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know he could have been. You know he might as well. He knew everybody, but you know also too he was a hustler. He he uh, he worked the nine to five and he and he bartended at night. And, you know, back, you know, bartending, you can make a, a lot of a lot of extra free cash flow. Of if you course. Anybody out there needs some free cash flow. You, you and, and a lot of friends. And a lot of friends. Yeah, and a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, like, you know, once again, back in his era, because he's around my grandmother's age, they had the uh, the VFWs, the Post, and things of that nature. And, and you know, they, they everybody knew everybody and all that stuff like that. And, 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 and it was just a different kind of time. So I went to a school that specialized in business, entrepreneurship, and computers. So um, it, now I, I'm being nice here. It was the worst school in New York, but, but they, were trying, they, they were trying to turn it around. <laughs> now they what borough to, is this? They were trying to turn it around. It was uh, Andrew Jackson in Queens. That's where LL Cool okay. J went and 50 okay. Cent. Okay. And uh, uh, Fat Cat. You know, he was actually on American Gangster. He was one of the top worst gangsters in the country. They, they listen. I said, go to show you how bad the school was. But, uh, but, but, but they tried. You know, they tried, and um, uh, uh, and but and and they definitely had the programs in place because once again, this school was so bad. They threw out like they kicked out like half the kids. You know, my first year, like they was like, all right, you're like 22. You can't come back here no more. Every, you gotta go, you gotta get out of right, here. Right, right, you aged so, out. And they were trying to, they were trying to turn around. So, so we learned in high school, I was taking typing classes. This is in 95, 96, you know? So uh, once again, before the, the, part of me wishes I would have stuck with computers because my, my co-op job that I'm telling you about was with computers. Mm. So I'm learning computers and then working in computers you know, but my passion was always business and was always, you know, dealing with the market. But um, I, I, I mean, like grownups were calling me to fix their computers when I was in high school. I was starting to, I was starting to do that on the side. Wow. You know? wow. So, 
So, so um, I learned accounting. I learned um, accounting one and two, college accounting one and two in high school. I learned uh, typing, like resume classes. Um, we learned so many things. I can't remember it all, but we learned, we were starting to get into like coding a little bit as well too. This was all in the high school. Um, and then like half the kids were cutting the class and I'm like the only one in the class. I'm soaking like everything in. One-on-one. Right? Mm-hmm. It was pretty, I was pretty much in private school now. <laughs> Beating the odds. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. So, so, um, you know, so, so, so that's kind of how I, uh, man, I forgot where I was even going with this story, joking around, cutting up with y'all so much. But, uh, <laughs> but so, so you got into investing through the program yes. in oh, your yes. high school. Yes. Yes. So I started in ultimately, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Ultimately I started in high school. So we were also, we also had an investment class where they gave you mock, uh, money portfolio. Right. Right. Yes. Right. And we were learning fundamentals. They were teaching us about trying to make it more fun. We didn't dive in too deep into it, but, um, and then I was enjoying it and I was actually like making money, fake money, like, you know, oh man, I can make money doing this. And so, but still I stuck with accounting. So when I got to Morehouse College, the, the, the degree you see on the wall back here, when I got to Morehouse College, I was an accounting major. And, uh, 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 and when I started to learn more about accounting, uh, is, you didn't deal a lot with people. You were dealing more with the numbers. You were crunching the numbers. I was a people person. So I was starting to kind of like, ah, I'm not sure. I breezed through accounting one and two because I already took it. But then now it's time for like the real accounting. So Intermediate. It's the, yeah, it's the sophomore accounting. I didn't know any of this stuff. And then, you know, Morehouse, for those who don't know, most people probably know on here, but Morehouse is a small school. A lot of people, the name recognition and everything, they think it's big. I think I see Howard back there. I think you guys are, you guys, are, you know, you have two sides of the school too. So you're probably, how many, how many kids you guys have it? Typically, the undergrad for us maybe ten thousand, or it could be in all. Yeah, you know, it's small. Morehouse got two thousand. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So, we so when I was size, there, yeah. was one of the most populated years. But it was, it was, it was. Let's call it twenty eight hundred, three thousand kids in total, right? Um, you know. So, but we're just only undergrad from that perspective. So, so when I, so when I, literally. Morehouse was graduating about four to six accounting majors a year. That's how hard it was to get out of Morehouse and accounting. And I was like, and I'm paying for my school because I was working once again, kept that mentality of, of working and earning. I had three jobs at one point and I went down to two at one point. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to graduate on time. I was like, I need something a little easier. And, you know, I, went to the route of finance. Switched over to finance, yeah. And, and that's yeah. kind of how I, that's kind of, I actually started computer fi- computer science and was like, I'm not going to make it out. Like, I can't even understand what they're talking about. This was like the, literally like the first year. Right. The second year I switched to accounting and then I switched again to, to finance because I was like, I'm paying out of pocket. I have to get out in four years, you know? Yeah, so. wow, wow. So, um. Thanks for taking us through your exposure, uh, but now take us through when you got your insight. Because I went to Howard, I also studied accounting, and you know, uh, our joke there was, 
the hard major was accounting. Anybody that couldn't handle accounting was switching out finance, <laughs> marketing, blah, 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 blah. Right. But, you know, in, in addition to the exposure you had throughout high school and college, um, when did it kind of click for you that investing is important, the power of investing, the power of compound interest? Because what I also will say is just because you go to, to a university and just because you study business, accounting, finance, whatever the case may be, that training is usually to prepare you for upper management and being an upper management employee. Um, I went to school and I'm sure a lot of people went to school majoring in those degrees, but never really being able to apply the concepts personally for themselves. So when did, when did the light bulb come, come on for you to be able to um, really see what it was and be able to use it to your advantage and then talk, you know, kind of take us to how you created uh, your current company? You know, it, it's, a, it's a continuous journey, you know, and, and, and I'm still learning to this day. Um, I'm in master's classes now for my uh, financial planning degree. I'm studying for my EA certification. Um, I'm getting another certification in behavior finance, uh, and then that's not even going into all the other things that I do on a, on a, on an annual basis. But it, it, you're always learning. You're always learning new things, you know. And that's the reason why I encourage people, even if you know what you're doing, to get to get to get a, someone to help you because you can never know enough information. It's it, it's kind of like you know, it's kind of like you studying for a test, and somebody's telling you here. I have the cheat sheet and you're like, nah, I'm fine. Or I have the study guide. Nah, I'm fine. I, I read it all myself. You know, why not take the study guide and take your stuff and then go at it that way. So, you know, I tell people all the time, like we enhance a lot of people. I literally, my last firm, one of my best client, that dude knew way more than I did, you know? Um, but, but it was just a couple of things that he didn't know that I would tell him that was just like priceless, you know? Um, uh, uh, so so um, my journey actually started when I, the first light bulb went off in college. So when I switched over to finance, I was like, okay, I need to figure out this finance stuff because this is new to me. So my first internship was on in Wall Street, Bank of New York um, back home, which was perfect because I lived in New York, right? Um, so, and I did two years at Bank of New York uh, in their investment banking division, because that's where all the money was in the early 2000s. You could come out at, at the time, I could graduate at 20, 20 years old, and I could be making $90,000. Yeah, easy, easy. You know, 2003, excuse me, you know, yeah, uh, $90,000, like easy, you know, and then three, four years after that, probably 120, 150. So you're 25, 26 years old making bank, right? So, um, so that's what my internships were. Uh, uh, and I tell people the story that I was 30 days removed from 9-11. So, so my, we, we, we were on Broad Street, which is like two blocks, two to three blocks from World Trade. And I usually had to get there like around 8.30. So I would have like been right in the middle of that. Um, I just went back to Morehouse for school, you know? So I tell everybody that's like a blessing uh, as well too. But um, uh, uh, so that was my first thing. 
but investment banking too was too many numbers. So um, Morehouse has like an amazing business program. So we had Harvard and all these places coming to this 200 person school, getting the talent, you know? Um, so all the top, they wanted all the top talent. They were coming there to get it. So we had places like Credit Suisse and a lot of the wealth management divisions were coming in. So that's when I got introduced to wealth management. But at that time, it, the, the landscape was so different. You either had to have the connections or like you either had to come from a wealthy family because they pulled strings to get you into that wealth management division. Right. right? So, so, um, cause not too many places were paying a salary to do what we do now. It was more commission-based at that time. So, um, so that's when I fell in love with it then, you know, just the, the lifestyle and, uh, and, you know, working with the clients and not having to, you know, you're going to visit the clients and you're sitting there learning their stories and how they made their wealth. And that was really what was, uh, kind of, kind of really piqued my interest from, from that perspective. So that was the first lesson. The second lesson was, um, my first lesson, my first lesson on debt. So how I paid through college was I worked at the shock bar. Everybody knows probably the shock bar from all the raps and, you know, Biggie and uh, 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 the welcome to Atlanta where the players play that song with the shock bar Atlanta. Like I was there during all of that, you know, and I was a bartender and a, and a waiter during that time. Um, I was making, working the weekend, $1,000 a weekend waiting tables and bartending, you know, Friday and Saturday. And then I would go to school the rest of the week. And that's how I was paying my way through, through Morehouse. I also started investing in businesses at that time because I loved entrepreneurship. So I got my first, I took a lot of lumps with business. The first one was I was doing party promotions um, and I was making about 30 to $50,000 a year doing that in, in college. Uh, uh, so um, I was like, I, ha I had access to credit cards and I had a, I was like the one of the only people in the cell, on the yard with a cell phone, you know? <laughs> and then I had the little two-way pager, the sidekick, you know? <laughs> you know, so I had all those things. And uh, uh, because I was, I was starting to make a lot of money. Now, I wasn't making this money and putting it into the market then. I was making this money and putting it back into the parties and starting businesses, you know, FUBU was hot. So I had a clothing line, you yeah. know, you gotta, you gotta have a clothing line if you're trying to make it right. Everybody uh, was having a clothing line at that time. So I had a clothing line um, and I had the parties, but uh, right my going into my senior year, I was about $7,000 in credit card debt, you know, like uh, borrowing cash advances for the parties to, to make money and stuff like that. My senior year, my seat, and then we were throw big parties and we would lose big, right? We would make 10,000, we can lose 8,000. Like it was, you know, and I was what, 19 years old, right? Uh, but then here comes 2003, Atlanta had the all-star game. And because I was throwing these parties, I had all the relationships with these clubs. And so that day, that weekend, I made 80,000, me and my team made like $80,000 uh, and we were 20 years old. So I paid off all of my debt um, and I was like, these credit cards are 
the death of me here. So I learned early how compound interest can work against you, right? Uh, uh, so not for you with investing and savings and wealth growth, but how it can work against you. And then that was my first lesson. So I paid off those credit cards. And then I was like, you know, I got a couple of job offers from, you know, New York, but I didn't want to go back home. Um, um, I wanted to stay in Atlanta. And then I got another offer from Cardinal Health, uh, making about 60 or $70,000 in forgot what they wanted me for, but in their finance division out there. So that was one of my first lessons. But then since I couldn't find a job in Atlanta, I started, I started in uh, mortgages, right? So right when the boom happened. So here I am with about $20,000 in cash, $30,000 in cash. I was trying to, when I graduated and I'm trying to throw these parties and I lost it all. So that was my first time like losing everything. Um, and so I got this job and then right when I was down to my last dollar, my wife now actually paid my rent that month. <laughs> so she, she secured her spot in your yeah, heart she, with that yeah, joy. She secured her spot, man. She secured her spot. <laughs> so, so she actually paid my rent during that time. And, uh, uh, for about one or two months, I got into the mortgage industry and here I am 21 years old earning again, right? making about $130,000 uh, a year at 21 years old selling mortgages, right? So I learned my lesson with debt. I was like, I'm not getting any debt. You know, I bought my first car in cash, which I'm not a big fan of, but that's a whole nother story. But I bought my first car in cash. I bought a brand new convertible Mustang and I put some dubs on it. Had to throw some 20 inch rims on it. You know, had to do that. You've been in the South too long, brother. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I had to do that. I put the little speakers in the trunk. So I had to do that. <laughs> but uh, but it didn't really matter because, you know, I, I was saving like $2,000 a month. Like I was, my disposable income was insane, right? So at that time, I was like, okay, people were making all this money in the real estate. I was seeing it. I was doing the mortgages. So I was like, I saved up enough cash, paid off all my debt. I'm sitting on about maybe $50,000, $60,000 at like, 23. I'm started inside the 401k because I knew I knew better at that time, right? And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go buy a house. So I bought my first house for at 21 years old for a quarter million dollars uh back in 2004. Uh 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 so so like that was my that was like one of my first lessons. And then at the time I'm seeing that I'm putting in, I'm putting in like 10% of my income into the 401k just by pure luck. Like just because I had so much disposable income, I'm just like putting all this 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 money into there, and like uh, I'm looking at it grow, right? Uh, I'm looking at it grow from that from that standpoint. So so that was where I learned compound interest. That's when I learned diversification. Um, I was still doing the businesses, so I was taking a lot of lumps, and and um, I, I I bought a um, I put twenty thousand dollars into a um, uh uh. uh a store, a clothing store, um, right there on in Atlanta. There's a store called Mass Appeal. At the time, it was called Collegiate Exchange, and oh, that was yeah, a store I know that everybody went to to buy all of their Morehouse, Spelman, Clark apparel. That's where everybody went to. So I bought into that, and then that flopped, and I lost twenty thousand dollars in that. So just for speaking to you here, by I tell people by the time I was twenty three years old, I must have lost about sixty thousand dollars. Exactly. You know. And, With a whole and lot of lessons to learn. A whole lot of lessons. In it. Yeah. I, I learned from it. So 
So that's when, when I see things, now I said all that to say, long story here, but I said all that to say, this is why, you know, things that quick money doesn't excite me, right? The, yeah, you made 1700 on game, 1700% on GameStop. I don't give a flip, you know, like, because that could go the other way and you can lose your shirt because it happened to me more than once, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and cryptocurrency and I'm not knocking these things. I'm just, I'm just saying, don't come at me about the returns on it. Right. Like come at me. If you're about not talking about the, also the risk, the risk, that and the fundamentals. Part. yes, the risk and the fundamentals. Is it sound? You know, what does it look like? What does it smell like? What happens when it's, when it, when the economy's in a recession, like, cause listen, I've been there, done it. I've done it all. I tell people I've done it all and I'm not into quick money. That's not, that doesn't excite me. And that's, and that's what I have to, that's what I'm fighting nowadays. Right. Because everybody is, you know, which is good. Cause we're getting, everybody's getting more educated, but this is the, this is, I guess this is the other, the flip side to it, if you will. But I'm gonna shut up. I know you might have more. No, no, no. In fact, when you said that, I, when you when you literally said, "I don't get excited with the quick money," my mind went to, um, it's like anybody on any given day can drop. You know, I, I'm a former basketball player, so in my past life, right? You know, anybody can drop 50, 50 points in a game. Yeah. The question is, can you do it again? Can you do it consistently? And again, and again. And again. You know, like, where is the consistency? Because, you know, if by the time you get to the NBA, anybody could drop 50 points. Anybody in there, any one of those guys could get hot and drop 50. Any one of them. But can you do it again? Can you do it week after week? You know, and so I think the point you're making is, is, is well said, though, because, like you said, because of the market volatility and everybody i don't even know if they're making this money but every time i turn on youtube they they trying to sell me about how they made this money and that you know they want to show me how to make a million dollars in 10 days you know and it's piquing the interest of people but you know similar to the story you had with your grandmother about your grandmother and then the the ariel schwab uh black investor panel they had yesterday where Melody Hobson said, many people get in, we're glad to see the interest. However, whenever that happens in the past, you can look at it, anytime there was a, a huge bull market and everybody gets in, the uneducated either get out at the wrong time and or get hurt. Mm -hmm. And so I think hopefully with this you know, uh, increased interest, hopefully we can throw some lifelines out to people to get them connected to organizations and resources so that they can start de developing habits, not just fly by night, GameStop, AMC, you know, whatever the case may be. Because again, those things are manufactured. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that also deals with the education of what is real pricing. You know, when we do fundamental research of a stock, market volatility as day trader, day traders is to create, you know, the the ups and downs, um, buying opportunities, selling opportunities. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, I don't. I, th I think you froze. Uh, you're probably you're probably come back, but no, you're at, you know you're making a great a great point, and uh, um, you know one of the things that if we keep on the 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 point of the AMC and the and the GameStop, you know before they even popped, you know and. I'm I'm of one of the people that first of all both of those companies, I wasn't the great, the greatest fans as a consumer, right? Because I remember GameStop was one of the first companies that that hustled me when I was in uh I think it was whatever they first came out. I was a junior high school or high school. I went and bought a sixty dollar game, and and then I sell it around the GameStop. They're giving me five dollars for that thing. <laughs> you know my, my you know my grandmother walked up there with her. It hit the man with her purse the first day. <laughs> I'm not even lying to you. They were hustling folk like crazy, you know? So so I was like, you know, I, I was never into that model anyway. And then they were taking advantage of kids because you can't go to anywhere else and, and buy anything or, or return anything unless you're an adult or have an ID. Here, you could be 10 years old and they're taking money back, you know? And then uh, as much as I love movie theaters and I, that's, as I get older, that was, one of the only things that I that I kind of do consistently as uh, uh, we you know we're not go hitting the clubs and stuff like that anymore in the vacations and stuff too. But movie theaters was kind of one of the things we would do consistently. But you know I, I'm like man, you know when when me and the fellas are going out, you know we'll we'll go out and we'll enjoy the movies. But when I'm taking my family and 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 when I was going with my grandmother, it was boy bring your popcorn. We're gonna put it in my in my purse. Now is now it's hey. You know, Daddy, I want the big popcorn, and I want the, you know, the cat, the cotton candy, and everybody's buying it. And I come out of there seventy dollars. I'm like, man, I could have ordered this thing on, uh, on uh, we're clicking the rent button, and I, I would have gladly paid thirty dollars. So I was talking about what's happening now, one to two years ago, right? So, so like, you know, th those are the things that I get excited about. You know, I was a Netflix subscriber. Most people thought Netflix got hot. I've been doing Netflix since like 2007. You know, I was I was with Netflix when they were sending you CDs. Oh, DVDs, excuse me, DVDs. You know, um, so, you know, like these are the companies that, that, that first off that, you know, that I get excited about. Companies that are, that are, that are strong, people are using it, good ideas, uh, uh, innovative. You know, I, I remember when Apple first came out and I saw the, the 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 MacBooks, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with these things. You know, I'm a Windows guy. Now you can't get me off of a MacBook now. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I just love them. You know, and they're just so they're durable. They last. My Windows PCs used to my Windows laptops used to last me. I don't know now. I don't want to knock them too much, but I haven't had them in like eight to ten years. I don't know. But they used to last me two or three years at the rate that I used to use the laptops. My MacBooks are going five to seven, easy, you know? So uh, it's worth the extra $1,000 that you got to pay for a, a Windows PC versus a Mac in my eyes, you know? So, but I know, I, I know, I know you're back now. So you, yeah. you were making some good points. You were making some good yeah, points. Yeah, hey man, the internet can't, can't even, my, my apologies. Nah, so no, yeah. Man, um, I, I took that baton, man. I took that baton. I, you, know, you know what? In basketball. I took the ball and I walked it up the court. Exactly. Court. Exactly. That was that uh, look away assist. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That thing, man. Um, but yeah, I, actually, I do want to transition a little bit just to get, I mean, because I, I think 
everything you've shared um, this evening has been phenomenal. And um, like we have a guest, uh, a, a participant on the night saying, oh, I knew exactly who Malik Lee was because I read him in the magazine, you know? So shout out to Ann Newman. Uh, but I do want to give you a chance to share um, some of your insights on what people should either start to do or start to ask of themselves or of, you know, a financial planner, because in this organization, Better Investing, um, we focus specifically and only on investment education, right? And so a lot of people that uh, like, like we were just kind of talking about the new surge of investors, people are peaking their, in, I mean, investing in the markets and their interests are being peaked and they want to be a part. And so we have a great uh, beginner investor class kind of series, uh, a lot of online video-based um, um, trainings, webinars, classes. And then of course we have chapters across the country that help support our members um, in these programs and in these investment education events. Um, however, we may not get a lot of the other pieces of wealth building. So, you know, even outside of the, the stock investing, what are some of the things that people who are new to investing, new to wealth consciousness, should start looking at planning for, um, considering being aware of, because uh, number one, we don't wanna be penny wise and pound foolish. Mm -hmm. And number two, we don't wanna start building this wealth without um, the proper plan for our goals or even considering how we're gonna pass it to the next generation or give it to charity or, or, you know, or whatever that is. That is a great question. And there's a chart that was done by uh, um, uh, uh, probably one of the top financial planners in the country uh, right now. He's the one of the planners that we go to. His name is Michael Kixis. He's the planners for the financial planners. He helps us understand planning and learn stuff. And I, and I have to credit him with this with this hierarchy that he created of where you go to an advisor for, right? What we do. The biggest misconception is that we just pick stocks, we're just portfolios. I mean, that's 10 to 25% of what we do, right? Even if you look at it from a revenue perspective, for me, that's like 25 to 50% of my revenue, right? So, so that's not even what we do on, or what a certified financial planner would do. Now, some specialize in it and that's all they do, but majority of us, that's not what we do. So let's look at the, the hierarchy or the totem pole of, of, of like dealing or working with an advisor, right? And what we do, right? So at the top of that, which is the top is the smallest part, right? So if we're looking at it from a, I guess a pyramid perspective, right? The top is the smallest part, that is security selection, right? So that is the very, very top and that's the smallest part, you know, security selection, right? Next below that, we like to look at it as portfolio rebalancing, making sure that you're staying in line, your asset allocation is in order, right? Um, next after that, we're looking at managing costs and fees, right? So that's a, a good portion of that. Not so much as much as, as, as other 
there's a lot of companies now, a lot of places now have the uh, 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 the, the zero trading costs and things of that nature. But now people are edu- getting educated on how people make money on the back end on you, right? <laughs> with, with order flow, right? So uh, and then after that, it's asset allocation, okay? So knowing how your assets should be allocated, knowing how much should be in the market and not be in the market, right? Knowing what that number is and making sure you're maximizing that, okay? Making sure there's not too much on the sideline, making sure you don't have too much in there like my grandmother did, right? So, so that's, that's asset allocation, right? Then it's managing expectations and behavior. Something that I am like, that's where I'm all in, all in on right now is, is really like the behavior finances of managing money, the psychology behind it. That's where I'm, I'm all in right now. But it's managing expecta- expectations and behavior. Like I spoke to a client the other day um, and they was like, yeah, Malik, you know, the stock market did a great last year. It was up 19%, you know, and I was up nine. Like, dude, you like 80% in bonds. What, what, what's, you know, like you like 80% in bonds. And I'm like, that's a great year for you, you to be that heavily in bonds and, 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 equity. and still do that. Well, yeah, and still do that. Well, you know, and, and I w- but it's setting those expectations and learning her behavior. Right. So obviously they're not, they weren't in line. And so that's why I had to help educate her from that. Then it's financial planning, right? So you can do all the wealth building in the world. I don't, you can have $3 million in the bank right now. I don't know, you can have 3 million right now. I could care less if you don't have a will, your state plan is not in order. If you don't have your insurance in order to protect those assets, if you don't, you don't have your plan figured out on what you're gonna do with long-term care, the average retiree is expected to spend $300,000 in retirement. The average cost of care for long-term care is anywhere between 50 to 120 grand, depending on where you live. You know, like these are the things that can, you can do, you can be a great steward for 50 years and it could be gone tomorrow. Right? Amen. Amen. So, 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 so that's what you have to, so that's why it's so important. We can't ignore that. So, so yes, you everyone's doing a great job of, of getting into the market and putting the money to work, but that's, that's a, such a small part of it. And now everybody's starting to realize, oh, I just made 40 grand in six months because I made 17% on GameStop. But now that's 40 grand on top of my $200,000 salary. That puts me in a 24 to 32% tax, tax bracket, bracket, you know, and then, and or I'm retired and now my AGI goes up. That just increased my Medicare for the whole year for a certain amount. Everybody thinks Medicare is a fixed price. It's not. It's based off your AGI. Because it was in a brokerage account. <laughs> you know, like, so it could be so many things that go into, that go into place. Um, encourage consistency with investing. And I, th- and you, I think you touched on that. Um, and encourage consistency, consistency in savings. Because that's what I believe is the key. I believe the key is, yes, you want to, you need the, the, the market investing is a tool to building wealth. It's not the definition of wealth, right? Somebody asked me that the other day, Malik, what's the definition of wealth? I don't want to get on a tangent because I think the definition of wealth is, is more than money. That's my belief, right? Coming from a, a an investment guy, but I, it's more than money, right? So, so, but you know, like the key to, 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 to wealth is 
it, it, it's the eyes of the beholder. If you, if you want to retire at 55 and house paid off and you happy, that's wealth, you know? So, so um, investments is a tool and the people that are just like only focusing on that and ignoring everything else, they're not, they're just, you know, they're, they're trying to build a house with just a hammer or with no plans. If that, from that perspective, you know, Great so, analogy. you know, so, so, so that is, so I, you know, that's kind of how a client or a prospect should look at working with an advisor. And that's how a good sound advisor should explain the relationship to, to you. If that, I hope that answered, that answered your question. No, it, it does. It does. And it really puts it in perspective because even more so, it also shares your perspective with us. You know, um, we've just gone from seeing a picture of you and seeing this great article or the few great articles you've done in Better Investing Magazine um, to actually hearing your story and your perspective um, and giving us just insight on what we should be thinking about moving forward. Because I do think that this conversation is important. And I know I didn't have this conversation growing up in my, my own home. You know, in fact, um, it was the lack of this conversation. It was the lack of a will and it was the lack of a trust that got us on this road, you know, because of us losing my grandparents' house because of that. You know, so when unfortunate situations happen, a lot of times we go to look for the answers, um, but sometimes we also don't know what we don't know. Mm. And that's why we try to have a variety of guests and, and so gracious that you were able to join us because, you know, all we know is that you have felt an appeal, it's wealth management, but for, mm, for the regular person, I'm, I'm going to quote Melody Hobson here yesterday. She said, one of the things that she realized in the research was that for whites, investing happened by age. Mm -hmm. And for Blacks, it happened by income. For whites, it seemed like when they hit a certain age, it was a rites of passage. This is something I should be doing. For us, we have a tendency to underestimate what we have and say, oh, but I don't make enough. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I'm going to wait till my first raise. Oh, well, I'm going to wait till I make $100,000 or I'm going to wait until. And that waiting until mm -hmm. is costing us so much. Mm -hmm. It's not just costing us the compound interest. It's costing us the opportunity to learn, the opportunity to connect, the opportunity to grow, the opportunity to be able to come up on short shortcuts, you know, because of the resources being provided. And so um, I'm just so grateful that, that you were able to kind of come and share because this should not continue to just be a have money, make money, have money, have relationships, have money, have access, conversation anymore I mean you know that time has passed mm -hmm. and it has the, the the walls have been coming down because like we said I mean I came into investing when it was um Morgan Stanley Dean Witter 
when you know uh, when you needed ten thousand dollars to have a conversation with these people when you went to uh, an insurance salesman thinking that they were a CFP you know I mean it's just so much um shenanigans mm -hmm. within the industry the only thing that's going to save us is ourselves and the only tool that's going to save us is education and that's why we have my investing story to be able to help people to listen in learn from others like you said i mean you lived a, a 60 year old man's life before 23 <laughs> you lost more money than i ever earned in income in the past 10 years, you know, but by listening to your story, I can glean, you know, what to do, what not to do, or at least what to look out for, or at least what questions to ask. Because I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're all the same. We all want to, like you said, have a life, live a life um, based on our own definition of success and wealth. And we want to be able to share that with our family and not be a burden to our family. And so um, I think this process in this space is helping us to do that. Yeah, you know, and one thing that you said that really, really is something that I'm just I'm just charging at right now, like full head on uh, steam here. And that's the estate planning aspect of it. I'm not an attorney, but I do a lot in estate planning because we're just missing that boat as a community. Um, uh, first of all, to go back to my grandmother's example, their version of estate planning was, I'm gonna write this, this letter down and I'm gonna have something in, in writing or I'm gonna put my sister's or put my, my son's name on this account and then that's how we're gonna, we're gonna do it. And, and not discussing who gets what before we even pass, right? Um, so that the feuds don't happen and we're not breaking up families and, and, and people are not thinking, oh, that's, you know, mama didn't tell me this and th things of that nature. But they, I never really seen a, a statistic from a truly reputable source. But the word is that about 70 to 80% of black community, black households do not have a will, which is Pretty I think that's a low number. And that, exactly. And that's what a lot of people say. That's a, that's a lot number. of people say. You know, I, I just did a webinar um, to about 60 people uh, last Saturday. And I put that question in there. I posed that question. And 90% of the people in that webinar did not have one. Um, so so to your point, it's probably higher. And it's a and it's a real thing. It's a serious, serious problem. You know, we are building this wealth now, we are earning this money, and then we're not giving any direction. We're not, we're not protecting it. Um, with the Biden administration, uh, you guys are doing so well and better investing and growing that wealth. With the Biden administration, it's in talks that the estate plan uh, uh, tax number, the, the, the threshold, the exemption threshold, is going to go from 11.5 to somewhere between three to $5 million. And that sounds like a lot. But we're not talking about net worth. We're talking about worth, you know, total assets. So when you're calculating your estate plan or your estate worth, they're looking at what your house is worth. They're looking at what other your cars are worth. They're looking at what accounts are worth. They're looking at 401ks. They're looking at everything. 
right? So they're not just looking at, okay, take your liabilities out and that's what you got to pay. No, you, you know, like they're looking at everything. So that's a, so that's a real thing. And, and when you said that earlier and just your, 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 your recent cut, your recent speech, it was, you know, that's something that I want to get that point across to everybody on the call today. Uh, and that's something that we need to get done. Yeah. And I, I'm going to piggyback on that. And I, I think I have to say this, um, what you raised is so important. And I am glad that you are focusing on that because when you were speaking, it, it made me realize this estate planning to me is the last frontier because it is so still so very heavily guarded. And just like I said, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, mm -hmm. where there was a lot of discrimination, even in the, you know, of course, even before that, you know, mm -hmm. financial planners wouldn't pick you up if you were a woman. The Beerstown ladies have a story where they wouldn't work with them because they were widowed. You know, you have to have this $10,000, you have to have this, you have. Now the, the democracy has come and better investing has led that way, right? With working with um, the um, investor relations departments when they were NAIC and they had a program, a low cost investment program, which allowed regular people to buy one share stock before computer technology, before my, uh, Microsoft was in every home and definitely before Robinhood, before apps, you know? And so, however, I still have not come across and or found that kind of openness within estate planning. I've had private conversations with some people um, who are estate lawyers, and it still seems to be this kind of like um, veil of, if you don't have the wealth that I'm used to, I mean, I, I should also plug, I used to work at Northern Trust. So in Chicago, so I know very well. And I took the internship so that I could get in to, to learn it, right? We don't take accounts less than $5 million, right? I mean, yeah. they are the leader in that, right? But I still couldn't get it. And, and so I do still think that there is that kind of veil of, you know, um, so selectivity that we, we have to kind of get through because and a trust is a trust, a will is a a will. Why are you holding the information? Why are you holding the keys for, well, you, know, you know, what, what I think is the problem and you're absolutely right. I agree. That's what you're saying. It's there's a few issues there that I've realized that this is, this is what, what I, what I think. Number one, um, that, that niche within law is not widely practiced. Like it's hard to, you don't, how many you go, you don't see no billboards, get your will and trust the state here. You see, if you get into an accident, car accident, yeah, right, you right, know, right. You know, divorce, bankruptcy, you know, uh, 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 DUI, those are the billboards you see, right? That just goes to show you that it's a hard practice to, it's a hard niche to have as, an, as a law office, okay? So that's, that's, that's number one, right? Number two, it's, they, for them to make it profitable, 
it, it looks like now for you, for because I work with clients in, in Bob, all, all nationwide, and I speak to estate planning attorneys in almost every state. And the prices that I'm hearing, it's even in Atlanta, it starts at like 1500, right? So if you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's that barrier that you're, that you're gonna have to fight, right? But you have the legal zooms and things out there, but if you have ever went through that process, they don't have, it's a, they don't have it's the a, expertise. It's a whole bunch of, it's a whole bunch of jargon and language. You don't know what you're, you don't know what you're doing. You know, so another quick story about that. My grandmother made me do legal zoom. I'm like, no, nah, let's pay somebody to do this. I'm gonna pay him. Let's go ahead and do it. Nope, I'm not. I don't want you to pay him. She was she just hard headed sometimes, you know. But you know, yeah, she just hard headed. I sometimes. don't trust him. I trust yeah. you. She was like, I want I want you to do. That. I said, I'm not an expert. I can't do it. So so I went through the process with her, you know, just to just to kind of ease this whole thing here. (laughs) And as I'm going through the process and I'm like, regular people fill this out. (laughs) You know, I'm like, you know, this is, you know, it's cut and dry. Yes. You don't, it's better than, it's the the old adage is better than nothing. Right. But, but um, I'm sitting here like, you know, you want to do this and you want to do that. You need certain language and you need this and you need that. and, And it's just like, so I think that barrier, those two barriers right there have to get solved to address the issue that that kind of you uh, 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 pose there. Because the average, my average clients, they single, they make about the, the average income, they start at like 150 to 175 single, uh, married, they're more like 250, 300. And I have to fight them to, to pay them $1,500 and they have the cash, but I still have to fight them to pay for it. So it's, it's a barrier. Uh, it's a disconnect between what the attorney thinks that they're worth and what the consumer wants to pay for it. It's a, it's a big disconnect from that. I'm going to add a third barrier. Mm-hmm. There's too much money to be made in probate. Yes. Everybody want to talk about the loan sharks and and the uh, uh, cash a check place. Nobody I, I, wants to put know, the probate people on blast. And and I'm gonna put I'm gonna I'm gonna dump a whole bunch of fire on what you just said right here. Whole whole bunch of gasoline. Excuse me, the fire's already there. <laughs> whole bunch of gasoline on what you just said. So I have a few attorneys that send us that we work with and send us business probate attorneys, right? And the reason why we work with them is because people are dying without wills. So for the folks out there, when you die without a will, right, and don't have a minor involved, this just makes it even worse, right? But if you die without a will and there's significant assets, the judge has to probate those assets. So the judge is getting the fee, the attorneys are getting the fee, and everybody is kind of uh, 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 working this along. Now, because they don't know who all needs to get this money and they can't give somebody the money because they probably ain't gonna get it back, right? So they have to wait until they probate these assets. And then they have to make sure they gather all the assets. So if your assets are not organized, if you don't know where everything is at, that's a whole nother process. I am dealing with an estate right now where I've been managing the assets for this estate. We're going on two and a half years. It's a $1.8 million estate, okay? 
So this guy had more than enough money to pay $2,000 for a will, but he just never did it. You know, and he passed away at 70 something years old and he was financially astute. I mean, he had, he had a million dollars just in stocks, you know, so brokers account stocks, right? So he owned businesses, he owned multiple real estates. Like this guy knew what he was doing from a financial standpoint and did well, but he missed that piece. So now he's paying my firm so that we can manage the assets for the heirs while they go through all of this probate process and he's paying the attorney. So because of not spending $2,000, he could be paying the upwards of thirty dollars to $80,000 in fees over the course of two years or three years. We're still not done yet because there's more properties and everything coming up every day. So like it is a, you know, it, it, it is a lot of money in that game for, you know, those, those certain states and municipalities and things of that nature. So you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I definitely think that can, that can definitely be playing, playing a part in it, part in it. And I'm seeing it first, firsthand. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in it from that perspective. That was the, the nightcap, Malik. <laughs> you just spoke truth to power. I mean, you did, you just spoke truth to power. And I'm so glad it came from your mouth to everyone else's ears because Sometimes we can be penny wise and pound foolish. Sometimes we could just be plain old ignorant and, and to no fault of our own, but we just didn't know. We did the best with what we knew, but there was that little piece we didn't know. And it, it costs our heirs. Cause of course we're that we're died. We've died by this point. Right. So it's not, it's not, it's not us. It don't trouble us, but it does trouble everybody else. You didn't want too trouble when you did leave. So with that, Malik, I, I'm just going to say, brother, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> and I thank you so much, um, you know, for, for your time, your, your experience, your expertise, and, and the knowledge you've shared. And I'm going to let you have the closing remarks. Um, if there's anything you want to share with the people, um, books they should read, things that they should do, or at least think about um, because I think you've given us a wealth of knowledge already. Yes, and that is actually our, that's a great segue because that is our slogan. Um, it is a wealth of knowledge. And the logo behind me um, is two hands. One, because phil uh, philanthropy is one of our passions. Um, so we try to marry that with our clients. A lot of our clients are, are, are philanthropically inclined. Um, and then also, so we're giving from that perspective we're giving up the wealth and then we're giving up the knowledge. So that's what those hands represent uh, uh, there with that logo behind me. So um, I will leave you with, um, I think you guys do a great job. Keep reading the business, the, the Better Investing uh, uh, magazine uh, as you build that foundation. Um, keep reading my columns when, it, when they're in there. I don't, I'm not, I don't think I'm in there every month, but I'm in there, I think five times or something like that, seven times a year. Forget the number. We're still working that out. <laughs> but uh, as I, because I write for a lot of people, I can't write for everybody, right? So I try to, I try to give them articles when I, when I have them. Um, and uh, but I will leave you. I will tell you that where I'm focused at right now is the psychology of money, and the behavior aspect of money, uh, uh, understanding confirmation bias and 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 mental accounting and herd behavior, 
and all of those other different type of psychological uh, uh, thoughts and feelings with uh, when it comes to investing and financial planning in general. So um, there's a couple of books that that I would recommend right right now, um, and all of them are on the psychology of money, right? So that's actually one of the books. The title of one of the books is the the psychology of money, uh, the timeless lessons of wealth, greed, and happiness by Morgan Housel. Um, uh, another one is I have this one right here. This is called the the behavioral. Oh, let me see here. There you go. The behavioral investor by Daniel Crosby. Um, this is another great book. Just making sure you're not making emotional decisions. Um, another one uh, that that I'm I'm just I'm a really big fan of. I was actually on a podcast or a session with him with the business on the Business Insider. We did a uh, session, um, and his name is uh, Sean Rochester, and he wrote the book called The Black Tax: The Cost of Being Black in America. And I think that's an amazing book. If you're looking to, he, he breaks down the cost of reparations, like how should we do it? How can it work? And Sean's a, Sean's a great guy, very intelligent. And when anybody asks me anything about that, I'm quoting a lot of his stuff. <laughs> so so um, uh, it's a lot of thing, good things in there. He's done a lot of research from that perspective. And um, it, he's not like a, uh, uh, like one of these, Real, I forget the the, the uh, what's the doctor name again that's real popular, uh, ball head. Uh, oh man, oh, um, not Dr. Oz, the other, no, not one. Dr. Oz, he's a financial, Phil, doctor. Dr. Phil. No, 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 he's um, he's a black a financial black doctor, yeah, he's a black guy, he's uh, has a PhD. And oh, yeah, the, the name is John Howard, yeah, uh huh, yeah, so the I name is John Blank, but he's not as popular and and on Claude? Instagram. I'm sorry. Claude Anderson? Is it Claude? No, not Claude Anderson. Uh, he, uh, uh, he's he's really this guy is all over Instagram. Uh, I, I don't believe I'm drawing the blank here, but because he's real popular, I'm just drawing the blank. But uh, 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 he's real popular, and uh, uh, Sean is not that. So I, I, I always like to kind of Doctor Boy. Somebody shouted. Yes, Boy. yes, yes, yes. That's his name. That's his name. Yes, he's not as popular as Doctor Boyd, you know. So he has an Instagram. I think he's on LinkedIn, Sean Rochester, but. Um, 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 his book is amazing. He has a lot of great things in there. Uh, he writes with Business Insider along with me on these kind of topics. So um, uh, just somebody that it's a great book to kind of read. And it's new. A lot of the other books, they, they came out a while ago. Sean's book is fairly new. So it has a lot of new data in there. It talks about if we move all of our money to a black bank, what would that do? How would that move the needle? Right? So um, a great book, and, and I would definitely suggest that people kind of look at that as well, too. So it's three, but I know you said one, but there's that. No, 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 three, the more the <laughs> merrier. No, thank you. And and tell the people how they can reach you, follow you, uh, get in contact with you. Yes, yes. Um, I am all over Google. If you just type Malik Lee in Google, you will see uh, a plethora of things come up. My contact information, I'm, I am everywhere from that perspective. Um, uh, you can read a lot of my other articles that I, that I wrote. Uh, 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 if you go to my website, feltonappeal.com, the press page, we have a lot of articles there. Um, I think we have about 30 or 40 articles where we either featured in or we wrote uh, for all the top national publications. 
Uh, these are articles outside of Better Investing because I don't post those on the, on the website. Um, and then uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Felton and Peel, uh, or type in my name, Malik S. Lee. It should come off that way too as well. I don't have a blue check or nothing. I'm not that fancy, but uh, Twitter, the same thing. You uh, Felton and Peel, uh, LinkedIn, you can type my name in, Malik Lee, uh, and, it sh- and it should come up. But uh, I am I'm e- I, I'm easily accessible. You can easily find me, uh, 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 you, uh, and and things of that nature. Uh, Google is uh, uh, I'm, I'm I'll pop up there. So it's easy. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> well, Malik, I really appreciate all of your time and all of the information and resources that you shared uh, because you've get, given us a lot of food for thought, but also a lot of action items. Well, not too many to implement, but some key ones that are almost uh, more important or most important um, when we think about our whole uh, financial well-being and and the whole total picture of our our financial plan. So with that, I'm gonna let Ms. McNeil close us out. Malik, Ioni, phenomenal show. And I will say like the words of, Michelle Mazur, as she says, that was the best show ever, (laughs) every single week. I just want to remind our our listeners that you have been listening to uh, an episode of hashtag, excuse me, my investing story. And again, Better Investing is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. And Ioni McNeil and I are both volunteers with the organization. And it provides common sense and that's what you've heard tonight, common sense investment education. And this education is very easy to learn and it's a method of selecting and analyzing stocks. And what Malik has done for us tonight is to help us really understand that it means more to protect what you earn than just to leave it to chance. And so Malik Ioni shared with you one of the reasons why we're here just like she said, we were actually in probate court for 15 years. Mm. Wow. Yes, 15 years. And so as a result of that, being a faith-believing person and really, 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 really believing that all things truly do work together for good, we took that situation and turned that lemon into lemonade. And that's a large part of how we came involved, became involved with better investing because of realizing what we did not know, like Ioni said, sitting on two degrees, doing what we were all taught to do, go to school, get a good education, get a good corporate job. We did that. So why was I in that situation? We did not know what we did not know, like she said. And so I'm very excited, like so many of us to have heard your, your story tonight. So it wasn't just about the articles. It really was about helping us to understand how you got here. And that is a large reason why we do this show. So we want to thank all of our listeners. And also, we are planning on having a financial empowerment session in April or May. So look forward to um, hearing from us, Malik, because we would love to have you as a part of our financial empowerment, because this is a movement for all people to be more educated and, and using this platform that Better Investing has provided to all of us is a very good way to do that. So we want to thank everybody, Michelle, Doretha, everybody who's participating in the show, all of our participants, uh, Ann Newman, and so very, very many people who come on every single week 
and join us with their, their participation. We want to let you know how much we really appreciate you. All right. So everybody look forward to seeing you and uh, you can go to betterinvesting.org and right at the bottom of the page, you can do a 90 day free membership just to get connected with the organization. All right. So thank you everybody and have a good night. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Bye-bye.